0: bless Doug right now. Who would I got to hand this off? Father God, thank you so much for Doug and Sandy. Lord, we just pray that your spirit take control. Thank you for giving him words from your word. And Lord, we just want to yield to whatever you have for us. Lord it's it's one thing to hear your word but another to do it. Yeah. Empower us <clears throat> to hear what Pastor Doug is saying in Jesus name. Amen. 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 My wife and I we were part of this group of people sitting on the stage that night of the Valentine's Sweetheart Dinner, the not-so-newlywed game, and we had practiced all of our answers that we thought would be asked, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? And we've been married 46 years and it's like, some of those things you just don't remember. So we we really rehearsed this, and she didn't ask one single question (laughs) that was on our list. So we didn't do too well. So we're going in for marriage counsel. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, okay. Oh my goodness. A communication problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to start by thanking uh, Bob Hart for last week. That was such an incredible lesson in just civics and history and of our country and and even the power of the vote and, and it was amazing amazing and I encourage you if you have not heard it to listen to it and if you know others who could benefit from listening to it which I think is just about everybody I encourage you to steer them to uh, what Bob was sharing but this morning I want to add a little bit more the subject that he broached and talked about is so multifaceted it's like talking about Jesus. There's so many different facets to Jesus that we could speak to it from many different directions, correct? So this morning, I want to I interject my heart. You guys know that I am pressing towards leaning into revival. We need to be revived. We need to see revival. We have talked a lot about that, that godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that brings a revelation of us truly turning back to where we need to be, and that is to God and God Himself. I shared a scripture before Bob spoke, and I want to go back to that scripture. It's in Psalms 11.3. Short, it said, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the footings are knocked out from underneath us, if everything gets tanked in this country, what can the righteous do? I feel right now we have a responsibility. Like Bob shared, there are responsibilities that as citizens of this great country, we need to step up into and begin to take back the land that has been taken from us, right? Here's the thing. I want to start with a story. A very good friend of mine, he is a world big game hunter. He guides in Africa. He guides in Alaska. He has a huge lodge up there. He has Piper Cubs, the Beaver Plains. He's got all that stuff. He's been around. He's seen a lot. He's really a neat brother, loves the Lord. And one time we were talking about the safety of fire, The safety of fire. And he told a story about how how whether he was in Alaska or Africa, they would have to build big fires at night to keep the critters away. Because if you didn't keep the fires burning, the critters would come in. And they would take whatever they felt was snacky. Which could be things that were not good for us. Just saying. But he was telling the story about how somebody had to be in charge of the fire. And typically in Africa, they would hire porters. And in, 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 uh, up in Alaska, they would hire other guides and people. Same job. They were paid well. But their job was to keep the fire burning. And what, happened would, w- w- what would happen was as the night would wear on, that fire would begin to burn lower and lower. And what happens is, is when the light begins to leave, the darkness begins to encroach and to move in. In their case, it was animals losing their fear and starting to creep closer and closer until, he said, their glowing eyes could be seen circling the campsite. That's not a good thing, especially when you're in big game country. And unless, he said, unless someone would get up again and build up the fire at the campsite, the the animals would want to overrun the camp and again come in and take things which you didn't want them to take. Fire can be a very safe thing. Think about that for a moment. The same could be said about our nation. Our forefathers stoked the fires of freedom in this great land. They started it. They rubbed the sticks together, whatever that looked like, the flint, they started it. And the light from their fire has given us Things like, and I know it's getting warped, but we're going to go there. But the fire that they lit, the light from their fire has given us justice. It has given us laws, education, tax structure. I know it's wonky and it's getting wonkier, but that's what we're here to talk about. It has given us the freedom of speech for the most part. It has given us the freedom to travel whenever or wherever we want to go in this great country. But think about this for a moment. Honestly, I wrote, the comforts we have now were made at their expense. But that's just it. We've gotten too comfortable by these waning fire of freedom. Way too comfortable. We've taken way too much for granted. If I wrote here of 200 years ago, Patrick Henry was saying, "Give me liberty, or give me death." Right now, in this moment, in this season. Most people are saying, give me. Give me. Give me. Or you owe me. Or I have the right to. The problem is, I wrote, we made ourselves comfortable by the fire of freedom. And we have slumbered. And we've slacked off. Only now are we starting to waking to find that the fire is burning low. And it's time for us to arise and put logs back on the fire. Because if we don't, that fire will grow dimmer and dimmer, and what's happening right now is the glowing eyes of the relentless beasts of tyranny are circling the camp. And unless there is a quick awakening, and unless revival comes in our land in this moment, in such a time as this, And if we don't get busy rebuilding that fire, stoking it up, building it back again to where it needs to burn bright, push the darkness back, there is real danger, my friends, that we are going to be overrun by savage, man-eating critters. And and these are critters like despotism. That's the expense, that's the exercise of absolute power. And we're seeing that knocking on our door. Things like Things like I wrote here things like impossible government deficits. It's here. It's here. Only God can heal what's going on with this. Only God has the answers. And we need godly people hearing from God in those positions and places that can take that wisdom from God and apply it to the life that we're living today and find the solutions that we need for today and tomorrow. We're seeing graft, political graft. That's where, where, where you have all these... A lot of politicians who are lining their pockets with your tax dollars, with my money and your money. I'm just speaking what's true and what's happening out there. It it always amazed me how someone could go in as a lowly public servant and come out the other end a billionaire. It blows my mind. Something's not right with that. But we're seeing perversion of every variety. We are seeing brutal crime. We're seeing anarchy. And we're seeing the occult rise and get stronger and stronger in this moment. The 30th president of our country, Calvin Coolidge, he said this, The meaning of America is not to be found in life without toil. Freedom is not only bought with a great price, it is maintained by unremitting effort. Do you know what unremitting effort is? It's hanging on to something and not relaxing. It's holding on to something with all your heart. It's like getting your stuck, your hook stuck in the back of a bumper as the car's driving away. There's no getting away from it. Just saying for a friend. <laughs> and that is what I want to take a look at today. I want to look at that unremitting effort that is required to maintain the fire of freedom in this great land of ours. I believe with all my heart, we live in the greatest place on the face of the earth. It's not perfect. We got lots of problems, but I still think if we fall, everything will fall. I believe that. So with this in mind, I want to look at some of the scriptures and I want to take a look at what three things that I think are paramount duty to is right now in this moment for such a time as this. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Bob hit on this last week. I want to hit on it again because I think it's really, really important. I think the number one paramount duty and responsibility of every believer on this face of the earth is prayer. I believe that with all my heart. 1 Timothy, and right now we got a lot of hooting and hollering and yelling and complaining going on about, this is wrong. That's wrong. This needs to be fixed. What are you doing? Yeah, be part of the solution. But it says, and this should come no surprise to any of us first of all, Timothy, Paul's saying, first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all. This is out of the ESB. For all, for kings and for all, and all who are in high positions that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectful in every way. I'm sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul is saying, first of all, first and foremost, you got a job to do, and that is pray for those people in your country that are around you, people in places of authority, the kings, and, and make intercession and thanksgiving for all of these people that... You that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life, godly and respectful in every way. So, the onus of this is on us. We need to be praying. How many have ever heard of the name, uh, the Reverend, um, trying to remember his name, Richard Halverson? Yeah. Yeah, Richard Halverson, he was a Presbyterian minister and I believe from around uh, 58, 1958 to the early 80s he was actually the, a chaplain in the U.S. Senate. He was famous for his quotes and it, this is one of his sayings. He said, intercession is truly the universal work of the Christian. No place is closed to intercessory prayer. I'll repeat that. No place is closed to intercessory prayer. No continent, no nation, no organization, no city, no office is closed to intercessory prayer. Wow. Wow. Do you know that? And did you know that there is no power on earth that can keep your intercession out? None, not a nothing can keep your prayers from going forward. They will penetrate through anything. That's there. You could be standing at a school board meeting, inside or outside of the buildings. Your prayers are going in. You could be standing in or outside of the White House praying for the President of the United States. Your prayers are going in. Nothing is go- You could be in front of or behind the iron or the bamboo curtain. There's nothing that's going to stop your prayers. What an incredible opportunity an accessory affords the ones who take prayers seriously prayer. Genesis chapter 18. We have Abraham as an example of how he interceded for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It worked. It worked. We see Moses' prayers of intercession in Exodus 32. Wow, God was ready to smack them all down. God was really ready to light their pants on fire. But Moses said, but wait but wait, he interceded for this fledgling nation of Israel. He did, and God heard his cry. Nothing stopped the prayer. It made it through. Again, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it again, this time out of the NIV. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for some people? No, no. For all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Wow. Guys, we must pray and we need to pray moment by moment that God will allow us to live as His salt and His light in the world. And in doing so, we become the light, we become the signs that make people wonder the onus of so much in our country changing and swinging is on us. Are you praying? If you think your prayers, it's like your vote. My vote don't count. Are you kidding me? Bob gave incredible evidence of our votes and there's so much more. But if you think your prayers don't count, stop it. They do. They will penetrate. They will go places you never dreamed that they will shove and press and go right on through. Nothing will stop your prayers. We must pray, I wrote, day by day, asking God to change the hearts of wicked leaders and their staff workers. And if they will not be changed, we need to pray that they would be removed from their positions. And prayer can accomplish that. Then, in turn, what we need to do is pray that godly people will be elected to all levels of public office and that these godly people would serve with incredible, contagious wisdom, with justice, and with love that's what we need to be praying for guys it's time that we start talking to god about bringing revival to our own hearts which i see god doing but a bigger picture to our land and and we're going to talk about this into the future where revival brings reformation if we do our part there's a part that we need to do to make that reformation actually happen we've had a lot of revivals but not the reformation, reformation that we want to see. It's because we, we're missing something, and I'll share that in the weeks to come. We have got to realize, you've got to come to this place to realize how crucial to the fu- future of America your life and my life, our prayer lives are. This is a big deal. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen famous. You guys should know this by heart. God promises, if my people... Who in here is one of his peoples? Yes. Are called by my name and will humble themselves. This is a big one for me. I mean, can I go down to the courthouse and actually kneel on the granite and pray? I know I can, but pride in me struggles. What if they see me? What if they think I'm weird? What if they throw something at me? So what? Let's do our part. I'm not saying let's all run down there and get on our knees. I'm just saying we need to check our hearts and see if pride is keeping us from doing and being and going where God is calling us to be and to do and to go. So prayer is first and foremost the duty of a Christian citizen, I believe, to this nation. Now the second duty, and Bob did a beautiful job of this, is it's time to step out It's time to stand up. It's time to be heard. You have a voice. God has kept you for such a time as this because you have a message. Each and every one of you carry the voice of God in your heart. Whether you see it, realize it now, you do. You have something in you that the world needs to hear, okay? And it comes directly from God. And listen, Mark 13, you can read this if you want to, although I'll read it later in its entirety, but Mark 13, 13, verses 33 through 36, Jesus tells a parable. And he tells a parable of a householder who went on a long journey, and he put his property in charge of his servants. Now listen, as a citizen of this country, I believe at least part of what God has put us in charge of is the political household of democracy. He got quiet. Think about that for a moment. We have a responsibility. We have a job. You know, you legally cannot discharge discharge your duties in this country unless you take time to register to vote. You can have an opinion. You can do this all day long. But if you're going to step and be responsible, be heard, be counted. Register to vote. And vote. Just don't say, I registered, vote. The beauty of this is, some people go, this is my opinion, but at the end of the day, if there's two choices to make, and either one of them, your heart, you just can't go there, write somebody else in. You can do that. Vote with your conscience. Vote with what God's leading on your heart. So, to register to vote, I wrote here is to stand up and to be counted. To register to vote is to say, Here I am. I'll do my part. You can count on me. Bob shared with us something over 400 elections were won by one vote. But you know, there's some big ones out there. Did you know that Hitler became chancellor because of one vote? Do your homework. Be in the know. And it goes on and on. There's some other big hitters out there in our history of the world that one vote decided which way that pendulum was going to go. To register to vote is to take seriously the stewardship God has given you for this country as a citizen, as a born-again believer. Bob also mentioned something I thought was brilliant. He talked about the birth certificate of our country. It's called the U.S. Constitution. And I want to read just some of the opening words of the U.S. Constitution. It says, we the people. Who's that? That's us. Of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, to promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution the United States of America. This is, my friends, probably, well, not probably, I believe it is, the world's longest surviving written charter of government. It has survived so far over 235 years. But it's in danger if we don't stand up and be heard, if we don't stand up and use our voice. I'm not talking about a riot. I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm just saying, well, maybe in a way I am. <laughs> but I am talking about let your voice be heard, be counted. Then after that, when, when, when you get through this first part of the U.S. Constitution, it breaks into seven sections or articles, and really they begin to detail the core components of how, of how the framers wanted the government to run the country. Marilyn Irkenef, There's Marilyn. Marilyn, would you stand up for a moment? No, Marilyn was not around when the Constitution was... <coughs> but I want to say this about Marilyn Irkenef. Marilyn she taught here for many, many, many years. In fact, she had the one of the original visionaries of the school itself many, many years ago. And she taught with all her heart the U.S. Constitution. She taught about just our freedoms. She had our kids learn. My kids today can recite the Gettysburg Address. My kids know the U.S. Constitution because of this wonderful woman right here. She did her due due diligence. I can be driving down the road and I can ask my son. All right, I'm bored. We're on I-5. Give me the Gettysburg Address. And he just rattles it off. He remembered that from your class. So did all my kids. But Marilyn realized this was her duty to teach civics at this level. And that was what, fourth, fifth grade? Yeah. Imagine a fourth grader today knowing the Constitution, being able to recite. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you. So who is the government of this land? According to this document, yes, we are the people we are the government. Who is, who is responsible, I wrote, to God for seeing that our government is run justly? We the people. It's us. Who are the servants that God has put in charge? We the people. That's what 2 Timothy's saying. Pray for these leaders. And we have such a job to come underneath and to shore up what's going on. We the people. So, let's move from Our duty to pray, our duty to stand up and being heard by registering to vote, I want to move to one of the last things that I think is so critical too, and that is being informed and informing others. I'm amazed, even myself, uh, it's hard to track with all these, these house bills and all this stuff that's going on, but there's information out there. And you may find yourself gravitating towards one or the other house bills or some other thing, but be in the know. Just don't be out there flapping your jaw about something you don't know anything about. Be in the know. Turn, Mark thir- 13, let's read this together. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to read it. Mark 13, verses 33 through 36. Well, then maybe it's Matthew. Yeah, there's a Mark (laughs) thirteen. Well we need to have a talk, brother. Here, let me let me pray for you, Bill. I'm thinking, what? Because there's a Mark sixteen. I'm going, how do we miss thirteen? Anyhow. Mark thirteen. Everyone's there? Mark thirteen. Verses 33 through 36. How many are there? Okay, good, that's good. All right. Again, Jesus tells this parable Take ye heed, watch, and pray. For ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work. And commanded the porter to watch. God is speaking to us in this. He's gone away, but he's coming back. And he's telling us, watch, look out, be aware. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh, and at even, or at midnight, or at, at the cock crowing, or in the morning, least coming suddenly, he find you sleeping." It's interesting to note here that in this brief parable, what happens is Jesus uses the word watch three times. Anytime something's repeated in the word, it's like, pay attention, something's happening here. Three times, three times he uses the word watch. And in the Greek, that word watch does anyone know what that word watch means in the Greek? It means to drive away sleep, to drive away the sleep. So Jesus knew that it was com- it was easy to get comfortable in a place. It was easy to get lazy. it was easy to shirk one 's duty. It was easy to fall asleep. I have a recliner at my house, and if I walk in the door and look at that recliner it 's like saying, "Come to me come it 'll just be a few moments and I go over to it I sit down i 'm going in, in me something's going, "No, you need to go out and." clear of the lower 40, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, and I start to sit down. And it's like, isn't this comfortable? And pretty soon, my feet magically go up. And the door opens and my wife walks in. <laughs> yeah, two hours later. Two hours later. It's easy to get comfortable. We get tired. You want to go home and rest and relax and shut the door and just turn the world off and, and and sleep for at least an hour I don't know but it's the same thing with our country and our nation today we get we the people we get so comfortable that we forget our duties we get so comfortable that we grow less and less alert and, and at that point we're allowing our republic to be broken into by tyranny because we're falling asleep at the wheel it's a terrible thing to do We need to stay alert. We need to stay on our game. So this is why Jesus says, watch. This is why Jesus says, wake up. Be informed. Know what's going on. If you want to know, you want to be informed, start checking it out. There's others in here, Bob, Gene, there's others in here that can help you with that if you need help. But be in the know, be informed. Just don't take things for granted. A lot of them is baloney anyhow. Find out exactly what's going on. But you know what? I was, as I was writing this, I was thinking about, you know, if we're totally honest with ourselves, in this season, all of us, everyone in this room, we have such a huge sea of demands on our lives. And maybe all you see or all you want to see is what's in front of you immediately. Blinders. My job. My family. Maybe just a few friends. And you can fill in the blanks. But these are the things. And, and that's enough for you. And, and and without worrying about our country at large. It's like this is all I can handle. Just this little thing in front of me. And this can be summed up in a motto. And I think some of you have heard this motto before. I've got mine. You get yours. I've got mine. You get yours. And what happens is when we do this is we tend to create this place of a false reality or this place of some crazy bizarre thought of this, we have this private peace where self-centeredness, this place we go to that we're we're so self-centered and the cares that we have are only for our immediate gratification or those things just close within our reach. Guys, that's not the faith and that's not the lifestyle that built this country. That is not the faith. That is not the lifestyle that stoked the fires of this great country. It's not about me. It's about something bigger than me. It's not just about you. It's about something so much bigger than you. Gosh, when we can learn to love our neighbors, ourselves and give and, and love, and, and it's going to change the world. We have so much still to learn. You know, as I was a small boy in the Mojave Desert, we would drive through the desert. <clears throat> Down there we had tortoises. There's turtles and there's tortoises. Now, tortoises are more adapted to the land. They'll dig tunnels. I mean, they will dig deep tunnels. And, and they, they get huge and heavy and, man, they're stout. Then you have turtles. Now, turtles are adapted more for water and they're usually found around moist areas. But as driving through the desert, my dad... We'd be driving along and dad would say, whoa, whoa. And he'd stop the truck and he'd get out and and there'd be a desert tortoise trying to cross the road. And he would pick it up, take it to the side of the road and put it down, pointing it out into the desert, hoping it would take off and keep going. You see, the defense mechanism of a tortoise I wrote here, they solved their problem by ducking inside their shell. When Dabby go down to reach them up, I've picked up desert tortoise. You go down to pick them up, legs go in, heads go in, tails go in. They tuck it all inside that little shell thing they think is going to protect them. Good luck with that when a 5,000-pound vehicle hits you. It doesn't work. But that's what a lot of people seem to be doing today when the winds of adversity are blowing. They tuck their head in. They tuck their tail in. They pull in their feet and their claws and paws and think, I'm okay I'm okay. Why do we do this? It's because we want to escape what we're seeing out here and we want to run to this private secret safe reality that we think we've created as a safe place. Really, I think the issue is is we don't want to see or talk about abortion. Some of us don't want to see and talk about social and ecological, uh, ecological crisis and national deficits and unfair tax structures and lagging world evangelism. I mean, the list keeps growing, creeping humanistic doctrines that are in our schools and our courts and in our churches today. So what do we do? We tuck in our tails. We pull in our heads. And we marvel at how safe we are in our little tortoiseshell in our private place of peace. Revival is coming. Are you even going to see it coming? You're not going to see it if you're tucked away in your little shell. If the United States falls, surely it will be said of us what was said of the Roman Empire. I've studied a lot of this stuff, and there's a man named Edward Gibbon. Does that name ring a bell to anyone in here? Oh, cool, Edward Gibbon. He was an English uh, uh, essayist. He, he would write essays, uh, all kinds of subjects and topics. He was known for that. He was brilliant, brilliant mind. He was a historian. He was a politician. And his most important work that he wrote about took six volumes to contain it. That's a lot of writing. That's a lot of information. But you know what it was based on? It was based on the history and uh, the history of the decline of the fall of the Roman Empire. And here's what he said. He said, in the end, more than freedom, they wanted security. They wanted a comfortable life and they lost it all. Security, comfort, and freedom. Freedom. When the Athenians finally wanted not to give to society, but for society to give to them, when the freedom they wished for most was freedom from responsibility, then Athens ceased to be free and was never free again. Does that sound familiar? They wanted a comfortable life. They wanted security, comfort, and freedom. That's what we're seeing today. There is an illusion, there is a lie saying, give it to us and we will give you and we will keep you safe, secure, and free. And in doing so, we will lose everything that we hold dear. Please hear that. Well, you might be saying, what can little old me do? What can one person do in this moment? Well, let's go all the way back to that word, phrase, un remitting effort what can one person's unremitting effort accomplish if you were to visit winchester cathedral in england has anybody been there i'm just curious anybody ooh if you go into the north ex there there is a which is like the foyer there is a bronze statue do you remember what that bronze statue was you were 13 okay all right bronze statue does anyone know what that bronze statue is or was or is still there it's in winchester cathedral you would say oh it's says it's saint so-and-so or it's this this person no huh it's a deep-sea diver a bronze statue of a deep-sea diver inside the nar- narthex of winchester cathedral What in the world is that statue doing there? Well, let me tell you, it's a tribute to a man named William Walker. William Walker single-handedly saved that building from collapse. You see, Winchester Cathedral was built on peat moss and just footings that were just not solid. And what they did, let me back up a little bit, its foundations, I wrote here, were in peril of caving in steps in, William Walker. I can do this. They dug these holes down that along each side of the foundation, all, not all the way around, but both the long sides of it, they built down. They drilled these holes, dug them. He went down single-handedly in a deep-sea diving gear for six years, for six hours a day, in pitch black. He carried in and placed 25,000 bags of cement. He placed 115,000 concrete blocks. And then he went back with something like 900,000 bricks, all of that, to bring footing back to the foundation of Winchester Cathedral. But his unremitting effort, day in and day out for six years, six hours a day, every day, it actually saved the cathedral. And that's why it's standing there today. His work and his work by himself saved that place. Now, I'm not saying there's something super sacred about that as much as it's just the effort of one man, what they can do, or a woman, what, what you can do if you set your heart to do it. And this brings us all the way back to our original text today. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I'm telling you, right now, the foundations of freedom are creaking and groaning, and they're seeking in to the muck of sin. Guys, we've got to be engaged. We've got to get on our knees. We've got to learn to fight from that posture. From our knees, pray that God, and I'm not talking Jesus love me, little light prayers, although that's powerful. I'm talking about the deep, unremitting prayers that just grab the heart of God. Monday nights, we have intercessory prayer, just saying for a friend. And you're all invited. There's a lot that happens there, it's powerful. But sometimes I sit there and I just go wonder, and this is me, and I'm not trying to judge because I know there's a lot of other things going on, but I think more of us could be there. I understand you can't be there every Monday. I, I totally get that. But you could commit to a certain month, one day out of the month or whatever, to make it happen. Where's your unremitting effort at in all of this? You have to decide. I'm not going to tell you who, what, where, or how. Proverbs 11.11 says, The good influence of godly citizens causes a city to prosper. Now, my friends, is the time to stoke up the fire. Now is the time to begin to get on your knees in your prayer closet, and every time you pray, you're putting a log on that fire. And the brighter that fire is, it becomes a light that draws people to it and repels the darkness and causes tyranny and creatures and critters of every kind to go farther out. And if we build that fire big enough and strong enough, it will have no more place to run, no more place to go. I believe that God has called us, not TikTok to be influencers in this world. God has called us to be influencers in this world. I'm shocked at how many people follow that stuff on social media. I, I can't stomach it. But what I can do is myself <clears throat> lean deep into it with all my heart and go, God, this is what I can do. This is what I can give. Help me. Help me do this with all of my heart. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to tell you something, in all fairness, Psalms 113, if you read it in its entirety, it tells us that God is still on the throne. That God is the one that has all this. He knows. But He's counting on us to do our part. There's nothing in you know if if, if our freedom in our country, because this generation doesn't stand up and do anything, it it, it, it could hold over. And God could redeem it later on down the road. But is that what you want for your grandkids? Is that what you want for your children? I don't. I want to see revival. I want to see reformation. I want to see, I want to see the ecclesia of God. We the people stand up and be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this moment. Let's stand. I want, to, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, I would like us to break into groups of three or four, and let's just start by offering prayers that will stoke the fire of freedom, that will, will cause believers to say, ah, I'm, I'm getting out of my cave. I'm coming out, and I'm swinging for the fences. God, use me any way you can. But most importantly, God, make me a light that draws people to you. Don't make me that good argument. Or that, that, or just bring, make me the light that brings people to you. So get in some groups, and let's just take a few moments and pray that through. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Did you find chapter 13? I did, I don't know. I love it.